Welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast with usually Braden Gall, but Braden Gall is on vacation, and so therefore I am Jeremy K. Gover alongside the usual standard. Mike Gallagher. Gallagher, how are you, sir? Doing good. Nice to to reunite since uh, it's been a couple months since I was last on It's All Your Fault. It has been. It uh, has been a while, and uh, it is good to see you again. Hope you've been doing well. Hope your family's doing well. And uh, you know what else is doing well? Jaspers, because we are presented every show by Jaspers. And I, I have to say that I was just in downtown Nashville a couple days ago, and I plan on going to Jaspers for lunch, but I ran out of time before I had to make a meeting. And so I cannot wait to go back. I'm going to be back in town next week. And Jaspers, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for those nachos and those I, I, it's and the burger quite, quite frankly it's probably what i'll get but see now i'm now i'm second guessing it gallagher i'm second guessing what i want on the menu because there's just so many options so but either way i'm going to jasper's next week so come join me if you will i probably should have been twice uh, the running joke in nashville is everyone's been to jasper's more than me so i need to i need to up my uh my jasper's frequency so i might join you you do and it's delicious so you're not you're not forced to do anything bad which is <laughs> which is great what are we talking about today we got a lot to talk about as far as the predators go but there's we're, I, we're focusing on prospects i believe and you can kind of walk me through that but i i am very excited if you will uh optimistic I'll, I'll probably, let me change that adjective to optimistic about where the predators sit in their prospect pool because as you know gallagher and i'm sure as the listeners know there was probably a decade of time, almost. I mean, maybe not every year, but pretty close to every year. There was a decade of time where they sold the farm to air quotes for radio, go for it. Okay. During the season. And so that kind of left the cupboard a little bare. But I think they're if you look around at the Milwaukee Admirals roster and the guys trying to push into this NHL lineup and at their most recent draft class, there's a there's some reason for optimism here. Yeah, I remember the the good old days when the the top prospects in the Preds organization were the Colin Wilsons and the Jonathan Blums and the Gabriel Borks, and we're we're far away from where that is, just with the talent and the depth of where the farm system stands now. Um, and if you haven't been to to Nashville hockey now yet, uh, yesterday I posted a story. Uh, I used to do this every year when I was at the Nashville Post and Nashville Scene. I did it when I was at Pelty Box Radio as well, just kind of taking a deep dive uh, into the Predators prospects where they, the organizational prospects where they stand. Um, again, I'm not Corey Promen or Scott Wheeler, but I rank them usually one through 10. Uh, this year I kind of expanded and did one through 20. I included trying, tried to include every single prospect in the organization. Um, so like I said, I ranked the top 20 prospects and I had the other guys listed on there in case you want to go look up some of these guys on your own time, uh, watch some highlights, read more into them and stuff. But we were talking about off camera, just the depth that this team has in the pipeline is probably unmatched. I don't think they've ever had a, a farm system this this talented and this deep before. Yeah, and it's scary to think that even though he's not a prospect anymore, I think National Predators fans still think of Ellie Tolvanen as a prospect. So they had Ellie Tolvanen in full time capacity with the Predators. I think they would it would look even better, right? So. Uh, yeah. it's yeah. I mean, you, you on on nationalhockeynow.com, you've got Joachim Kimmel first. That he's he's got your top slot, which I totally agree with because I actually think he can challenge for an NHL spot next year. So an opening, so in a month when they start, they open up training camp. If he comes in with a wicked shot and 
can do some damage with his size. I think he is a guy to really look at as a guy who could be a full-time NHL player this season. It may not be right away, but I think at some point this season, you're going to see him get his chance with the Predators. Yeah, that, that's kind of been one of the the more hotly debated topics over the summer. And I've, I've been trying to uh, keep the floodgates from opening with this one because I still think well, I don't disagree with you. I do think he will be given a chance to compete for the opening night roster. I just don't think he's ready. And that's not a knock on him by any means. I just think, and the difference between him not being ready and him being ready isn't like he needs a year in the AHL. I think you give him a solid two months and he'll be ready. Um, it's just, it's one of those things where you you don't want to, we saw this with Kevin Fiala. We saw it with Philip Forsberg. We saw it with Ellie Tolvanen. I just don't want the team and the fans, quite frankly, to make the same mistake of having this really great prospect. Like there's nothing wrong with letting them be a prospect for a couple of years. I know when you get an offensively talented player like Kemmel and you see what he did in the playoffs and with the admirals and it's, it's really, there's this temptation to rush him to the NHL because he, he looks good and it's like, Oh, he could be the next big thing. And and that happened with Philip Forsberg. And, and luckily, fortunately for the predators, like Philip Forsberg t- turned into a really good player. We saw it with Kevin Fiala. Fans got really high on him. He had some trouble in Milwaukee. He had some disciplinary issues and stuff. And then it, he never really worked out. And then we saw what happened with Ellie Tolvin, where, quite frankly, the organization just gave up on him way too early, ended up letting him go. I don't think you have to worry about any of that stuff with Kemmel. I just, let's pump the brakes a little bit because we saw what happened when Tolvin came over, was setting KHL scoring records, playing in the Olympics, like playing with grown men pretty much everywhere he went. And he looked really good. He looked the part. He came over here and he was expected to be the Messiah and it just didn't end up working out. Took a little bit longer with his development. So I, I think Ellie Tolvanen is the cautionary tale of any hyped Preds forward going forward, especially like, excuse me, especially like Kemmel. I understand the temptation because he looked really good, but give him, give him a couple months of seasoning in the AHL. And if by the all-star break, you want to call him up and put him on the roster full-time, I'd probably be okay with that. I think we're forgetting one thing here, though, right? Like, Tolvanen looked the part, played against men, like all those things you mentioned, the Olympics, all those things, okay? But he came over to North America at the end of Jokeret's season in 2018. And so he finished the 2017-18 season, I mean finished like three games, with the National Predators. He did not play in the AHL until the next season. And he was, you know, held had no points, looked pretty much invisible, actually, and then in those three games that he played, the cup of coffee he got for the Preds that year. But when he went to the Milwaukee Admirals, he started off and he had 35 points in 58 games, including 15 goals. The big difference here is Joachim Kimmel finished his season over in Finland, came over to finish the season with the Admirals. He got 14 games in with the Admirals at the end of the year. He was basically a point-per-game player with 13 points and six goals. And he went on to you know, to be one of their top players in the playoffs as well with 10 points in 14 games, which, you know, is, I think, uh, I think it was like fourth or something in their or tied for fourth in their sco- uh, scoring in the Milwaukee Admiral. So my, anyway, my point is I'm getting off on a tangent. My point is, is that Kimmel shows more readiness, which is very odd to say than Ellie Tolvanen did once he hit North American ice. Now, again, you're right. It could be a flash in the pan. It could be something, crazy like he was just motivated he was in, he was in a, a rhythm maybe because of the because of the finished season then he came over and he was ready to go so that all, all that may be true but to me Joachim Kemmel looks more ready he's bigger for sure 
He's uh, he's got a great shot, like Tolvanen did, and he has now proven it to a degree at the AHL system in uh, uh, AHL organization. Excuse me, oh, yeah, gosh, I can't even talk. The AHL level—that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> you know, and that is exciting to me. But you're right; he might need a couple months just to make sure that's real. If he goes down to Milwaukee on opening night, because he can, right? He won't be exposed to waivers or anything like that. So if he if he gets cut and goes to the Milwaukee Admirals after training camp is over, because he can, he's just a victim of a numbers game, and he goes and he puts up 20 points in the first 10 games, this kid is coming back, and he's going to make the Predators. He's going to... Yeah, no, I I agree with everything you said, and I do, I do think it's entirely possible... Um, I do think it's entirely possible that he could make the opening night roster. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. I'm not ruling, ruling that out. What makes me nervous though, is he played 43 games for JYP over in Liga uh, over in Finland. Um, yep. And he only yep. had 12 goals and 15 points in those 43 games. He, he, his season last the season before that, he looked a lot better. And like, I get it. The guy, the kid got drafted. There's a lot going on. He's probably thinking about his future after JYP season ended. A lot of stuff going into what's going on in, in his psyche over there. He, obviously, he comes over to the AHL. I think between the 28 games that he played between the playoffs and the regular season with the Admirals, he had 14 points and 23 goals. So he was almost a point per game player for the Admirals. His, I think he had eight the what, eight goals um, in the postseason. That was the third most in the AHL postseason. Like I get it. There's a lot to be excited about. I just worry of trying to do too much with him too quickly. And and I look at that 43-game stint he had with JYP where, yeah, the 12 goals are pretty good, but 15 points in 43 games, you want more production out of someone with the skill set that Kemmel has. So I just, I just, I'm, I want to be really cautious about kind of tempering expectations for him because everyone saw how good he was in the playoffs and everyone's like, oh, rush him to Mil- rush him until Nashville, get him up in the NHL now. Predators need scoring. It makes sense. I would just caution to to just take pump the brakes a little bit, take some time. If he if he goes to to Milwaukee for twenty five games and then you call him up and he's here, great. Just just give him a little bit more time. The way I look at it is, the more time you spend with Carl Taylor, the better player you're going to be once you get to the NHL. And I do think Kimmel will be a better player than Tolvanen. I think he's a little bit further along. Like you said, he's more mature. He's bigger. I, I would. I think his shot is right up there. I think Tolvanen has the better shot, but I think Kemmel is the better goal scorer. Um, so obviously the comparisons are there with how the Predators have really messed up, squandered away a first-round pick as talented as Ellie Tolvanen. I don't think you have to worry about with Joachim Kemmel. I would just say pump the brakes a little bit. Let him let him play in Milwaukee for a little bit longer. Let him get used to playing. You know the an NHL style of play, and then call him up. But I, I understand. Absolutely, fans should be excited about this kid because I think once he gets to the NHL, he's going to be dynamite. So another thing that we're talking about here, right, without talking about it, is that their their need for offense. It's not like they've got this loaded roster full of ridiculously talented forwards who are going to score, you know, 50 goals a season and 90 points left, right, and sideways. And then this kid's going to be, he's going to kind of fill in the gaps. I mean, you know, he's, there is a level, you're right, of depending on his scoring uh, a little too much. And another guy that I want to bring up is number three on your list. We'll get to number two in a minute. But number three on your list is Luke Evangelista, who I think is almost guaranteed, unless he gives them a reason 
to put him in Milwaukee. I think Evangelista is almost guaranteed to be in Nashville on opening night playing in that top six. So I wanted to get your take on that because to me, I, I, I hear the argument that he needs to get bigger. I hear the argument that, you know, maybe he wasn't ready. He was rushed into action because of their rash of injuries. But I also hear the, the argument that he was basically a point per game player at the AHL regular season, 41 points in 49 games. But he was also a point per game player in the playoffs for Milwaukee. And he scored 15 points at seven goals, by the way, 15 points in 24 games with the Predators when he was probably only supposed to play a game or two. He ended up coming up and playing, having a pretty good point per game average. So, Michael Gallagher, I ask you, is Luke Evangelista an opening night Predator for 23-24? I, I think he is. I, I don't see how you can deny him that. And you could, you could, I mean, he earned it. You look at what he did last year. And we, we talked about this, I think, when we, on It's All Your Fault, a couple months or probably the beginning of the year, we talked about how Evangelista, it was right when I think they were getting ready to call him up or we were thinking they were going to call him up. We were talking about how Evangelista was more of a playmaker than a goal scorer. And we saw out of the 41 points yes. he had in Milwaukee, nine of them were goals, 32 were assists. That, that kind exactly of showed, what we expected. Yeah, that kind of showed that he was more uh, of an offensive contributor, more of a playmaker, more of a less of a goal scorer and more of just a guy that goes out there and drives offense. Well, he gets to Nashville and half of his points are goals. He he almost scored. He, he had seven goals in 24 games with Nashville compared to nine goals in 49 games with Milwaukee. For whatever reason, he got to the NHL and he became a better goal scorer. And we saw that he, I mean, he was playing with different, different line mates night in and night out because the Predators were having to put a patchwork offense out there. And for whatever reason, like Luke Evangelista, I feel like he, he's another Tommy Novak where he plays really well with pretty much anybody you put him out there with i i think you gotta consider and i think barry trotz is, is honestly because he even made a point he's luke evangelista i think is the only prospect barry trotz has talked about um throughout the off season where he mentioned him by name specifically as being on the team next year or possibly having a roster spot we think philip tomasino is going to be on the on the nhl roster next year we don't know zachary larue could potentially it's a small chance but he could potentially make the, the roster next year we don't know like it's kind of like where Yusuf Parson was last year, where we felt like he wasn't too far off from making it to the NHL, and then he gets called up after like 10 games or whatever it was. I think, and especially if you need offense, Luke Evangelista, I think, proved last year with his production at both the NHL and the AHL levels. We saw how he was just tearing it up in the playoffs for the Admirals. I think he's ready. I don't really know if there's any if there's much more he can learn in Milwaukee that he doesn't already know. And look, yeah, the kid's a little bit undersized. He's only six foot tall. He's 183 pounds. And I included this in my story just because I love watching watching this video. But Max Herz tweeted a video of, of Malkin getting laid out by Evangelista um, during their game. I think it was the very beginning of March or end of February. And, and, and David Poyle, even though he's not the general manager anymore, at the end of season press conference said that Evangelista probably needs to add a few more pounds. They probably want him to play a little bit more physical. But that's not really his game. He's not he's not a physical kind of guy. He he's more of a points producer. He can be a goal scorer. He's that shifty, speedy guy um, that you just kind of rely on to drive the offense. And I really feel like he's earned the shot to be on this roster on opening night. And I, I just don't see how oh, I just don't see how you can keep him off of it. You need offense. Your top six is is down Matt Duchesne, down Ryan Johansson, 
We think Nyquist and Ryan O'Reilly are going to be top six forwards, but who's going to play on the top line with Forsberg and O'Reilly? Who's going to who's going to be the other wing to complement Nyquist on the second line with Cody Glass? I, I think Luke Evangelista has a good case for for not only being on this roster on opening night, but being in the top six. I haven't missed my top line winger. I cannot wait to see him play make for Philip Forsberg. I know that may not it may not be, you know, it may not warrant fruit. Like you know, at, at at first, but I think eventually, let's call it by December or January, mid season. I think it's it, it's going to be crazy good, right? It has all the earmarks of being a perfect marriage, right? Of a guy, you two guys actually who think the game so well and their hockey IQ is so high, and you've got Forsberg who can do both, but you've got Evangelista who can play make, and so. To me, it's just like, oh, I just, I, above anything else that I'm excited about this season, that's it, is seeing the, the maturation of the Evangelista and Forsberg combination. On your list, Gallagher, on National Hockey Now, again, nationalhockeynow.com, you've got the two first round picks from this past year, Matthew Wood and Tanner Mullendyke, at four and five above Philip Tomasino. So if you're ranking your top 20, Predators draft picks that are in the system right now. You've got Philip Tomasino, a guy who's played in the NHL. He's, he's he's played well and not so well, depending on what it is. But you have two first round picks that are 18, 19, or 18 years old and Matthew Wood and Tanner Mullendike ahead of Philip Tomasino. Do you care to explain yourself, sir? Sure. Why not? So looking at this, uh, <laughs> I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll start with this. I don't think Philip Tomasino should be considered a prospect. The guy's 22. He played a full season in the NHL two years ago. He, he's he's more well-seasoned than any of any other player on this list. I, I hesitated to put him in there and even include him, but and, and I think in the fans' eyes, in the team's eyes, in a lot of other uh, prospect gurus' eyes and other you know national media, if you will, I think that he's still considered a prospect on the team. That's not me saying I think Matthew Wood and Tanner Mullendyke are better than Philip Tomasino is right now. That's not the case. The kid showed 12 goals, 32 points in 38 games two years ago, playing on the fourth line. If you can put up 12 goals and 32 points playing with Matt Luff and Michael McCarron and Nick Cousins, I think you're a pretty damn good player. That said, we we don't know the direction the organization is going to go with Philip Tomasino. I think he proved last year. Hell, I think he, I thought he proved two years ago. He's ready for a full-time role. I think the thing, and I even said this in my story, no one's going to benefit more from the hire of Andrew Burnett than Philip Tomasino will, because he finally has an offensive minded head coach that understands how to use him and the skill set that he has. We're talking about a guy who, yes, he was 24th overall pick, but he was, he was, there were a lot of people that were high on him going into that 2019 draft. He could, he could have probably gone anywhere in the, the 14 to 18 range. I don't think anyone would have been surprised. Tomasino, we said this with Tolvin a couple of years ago, he needs to be playing with other offensively gifted players to get the most out of him, which I think is perfect this year because the Predators happen to have two openings in their top six. And if you're going to put, and I agree with you, if you're going to put Evangelista on the top line with Forsberg and O'Reilly, it almost makes too much sense to put Tomasino on the second line with Cody Glass and Gustav Nyquist because you have a center that showed a young center that showed he's capable of handling a top six role last year. He really thrived when he, when he took over Ryan Johansson's spot in the lineup, you have Gustav Nyquist, who is a perennial 20 goal scorer. Like he drives offense as well. 
and Barry Trotz even talked about that, having a having an experienced winger with a young center like Glass. I think having Tomasino on that line would really help because you would have two young offensive-minded players. You would have a, a forward out there that has been there, done that, who's scored 20 goals a lot. I, I think it would just be a really good second line. But I, I think hiring Andrew Burnett is the, is the one is probably the best thing the Predators could have done for Philip Tomasino in particular for his development. He scored six goal or six points and four goals on the power play. I think getting him some time on the second power play unit would be great. And I even said Brunette's best course of action would be pairing him with other guys like Forsberg, Glass, O'Reilly, those those type of players, and just sitting back and letting him go to work. And and I mentioned we've talked about Ellie Tolvanen a lot, and he's not even with the organization anymore. But I think fans got worried last year when John Hines sent Philip Tomasino to Milwaukee. And for whatever reason, it took them most of the season before he got called back up. I think fans looked at Ellie Tolbert and the way he was handled last year, and they can't help but be worried about Philip Tomasino going down a, down a similar path this year. I don't think we have to worry about that, but I do understand the trepidation there with that. So hiring Andrew Burnett, having someone that that understands how to put together a really good offense and, and knows how to use really good offensive players, I think will do Philip Tomasino a world of good this year. That said... I think Matthew, as prospects right now, Matthew Wood and Tanner Mullendike, I would rank them ahead of Philip Tomasino just because of the upside, the potential. We don't really know what those two guys are going to be. Matthew Wood has said he wants to be Tage Thompson. Tanner Mullendike, I talked a lot about just how shifty he is, how quick he is, how how fast of a skater he is, and all the other things he does well. So as prospects, I, I'm more excited about those two than I am about Tomasino just because I feel like we kind of know what Tomasino is and what he can be. So I would challenge you on the second line winger spot going to Nyquist. I, I think you're not you're probably not far off, and there's definitely a debate to be had. But I I I've got Parson and penciled in on my second line winger spot with Glass and Tomasino. So for me, I you know I I think that's a a a, a youth line like just a a long line full of young guys who's ready, ready to prove themselves all three of them really because yes cody glass spent some time with the predators of course last year most of the time actually you know in and out of the lineup depending on what is going on but at the end of the day he had 18 points 31 games well sorry that was that was that was uh thomasino my apologies my point though is still he had 35 points in 72 games but he you know he he, he kind of came on at the end of the season he kind of came on and, and kind of found a groove and so i think with brunette as you know behind the bench, ready to go, kind of steering these guys towards offense. I think that sets Glass up for success. I agree with you that it sets Tomasino up for success. And I can't wait to see what Parson then does when he's healthy for a full season. So I will I, say you know, I, I don't have a pro- I will say I agree with you. I think that would be the better line. I think Parson and Tomasino Glass would be one in terms of giving young guys a chance to to form some chemistry and two going with a, a younger line and, and just letting them kind of play it out. Cause all three could be really good offensive players. I do agree. That would be the best choice. I only mentioned Nike was playing with glass because it seems like that's what Barry Trotz wants to do because that he specifically said, I think it was when he, he was asked why they signed Nyquist. He said bringing in an experienced winger to play next to Cody glass was something that they were really kind of honing in on. So that's the only reason why I think glass and Nike was played together. Okay, I mean that, that's that's very fair. Obviously, I'll I'll you know I'll defer to you know trots <laughs> as opposed to my own opinion. But you know uh, I just think like a, a you know Novak is going to fit in there somewhere. Where is he going to fit? 
I'm just so, the, the, my point, I guess, at the end of the day is the top line is the top line. It's going to be Forsberg, probably Ryan O'Reilly, and then again, whoever, you know, Parson or, you know, uh, Evangelista, whatever. But then your second and third lines are almost interchangeable to me. And that's exciting if you're a Predators fan because you have uh, a threat to score in theory on the second and third line, not just the second line with a, an occasional chip in goal from Yakov Trenin on the third line. Like you actually have some guys who can score on the third line. And I think that that allows for a lot of possibilities. So I, you know, I, sure. I there's a lot of, I can't wait for the preseason because I, I'm excited to see how this all shakes out. And I think to Andrew Burnett, I think he was, it was around the draft. He was on 1025 and he was talking about, I think uh, our buddy Adam Vingan asked him about the lineup. And he said, I'm not really concerned with a, a top six. He's like, I view it more of a top nine, top 12 kind of thing. And he, he said, I forgot what the actual quote was, um, but he said, the way I like to mix and match my lines, I, I don't really roll with a traditional top six. And to me, I, fans probably hear that and they're like, great, another another Peter Laviolette, another John Hines, where he's just going to go out there and mix the lines up and doesn't know yep. what he's doing. Yep. I think yep. I look at this more of like Dave Haxtall in Seattle, where you have a collection of talent that will play so well with anybody on the roster that you can mix and match the lines. And it doesn't look like you're crazy because the lines play so well together, regardless of who's on there. I mean, look at look at what happened after Tolvin and joined the Kraken. There was times where he was playing in the top six. There was times where he was playing in the bottom six. You didn't really notice when that was because he his production didn't falter. He didn't change his game. Nothing looked like it was off because the way the Kraken are built, their their forwards are so interchangeable that you can almost play anyone with anyone, and you're still going to get roughly the same production out of pretty much the entire forward group. I think that's what what Andrew Burnett's going to bring to this roster. And look, there's clearly a difference between Philip Forsberg and Cole Smith or Colton Sissons or Jakob Trin or anyone that's going to be in the bottom six. But I think what Andrew Burnett's going to add to this team is he, he I, I feel like he's just studying these guys right now, trying to find their ticks, trying to find what they're good at, what they're bad at, because he wants to know he want. I think he wants to be comfortable knowing that if he's out there playing, I don't know, the Colorado Avalanche and it's the third period that he's comfortable bumping Colton Sissons up to the top line to play with Philip Forsberg and Ryan O'Reilly, as opposed to keeping him on the third line. Like, I think he wants to know the interchangeability of his roster. And I think that's something we're going to see a lot of. So I think we have to keep that in mind too, with some of these guys that are going to be playing in the, in the NHL, like Evangelista and Tomasino is even if Tomasino starts on the, on the fourth line, I don't think he's going to be married to that because I think the way Andrew Burnett likes to mix and match his lines, you're going to see, there's going to be a lot of moving parts to this. Maybe so. But I, for one, just as a hockey purist, and maybe it's an old school way of thinking, and I'm willing to admit that, but I can also say that regardless of what it, where it comes from, I am so sick and tired of watching hockey and coaches just interchange lines and just line mates, just shuffle them in and out like it's every shift or every period. You've got to give guys time to gel. I understand that they're top tier competitive athletes. Okay. They're paid millions of dollars, most of them, and they're 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 playing in the best league in the world. I totally get that. But to put them all in one bucket and be like, nope, everybody should be able to play with everybody. That's not reasonable. It's not realistic. Philip Forsberg's IQ is not going to play well with Yakov Trenin's IQ. 
I'm not saying Yakov Fredin's dumb. I'm just saying that the guys <laughs> think the game different. That's I want to be very clear on that. I'm not saying that Yakov Fredin doesn't know the game. Of course he does. He's a good, solid player. But I'm saying that you don't. Yakov Fredin thinks the game different than Philip Forsberg does. Okay, and Philip Forsberg thinks the game different than Connor McDavid does. Not every just because they're an NHL athlete doesn't mean they get an NHL paycheck doesn't mean that they're all oh they we can all just mix and match them. No. Their chemistry is so important, and it it drives me crazy that there's that in this day and age in particular, there's no kind of uh, default. Well, let's leave. now. Clearly, I want to be fair here. Clearly, if you're four or five games into something and there's and it's it, there's it's not working, that you change it. My problem is during the game, you put it. You go, hey, we're going to start off with Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, and Philip Forsberg. We're going to see what happens, and then three shifts in you're like okay nope that's not working let's put this is what colton sisson's on the top of no give it time to work out and give them time to learn what each other's going to do so i it's a tangent and a rant and i apologize i want to get to one more thing before we get out of here though gallagher unless you have a response no i i get it and i look my rational mind and being in the press box trying to keep up keep up with who's on what line during shifts and line changes and stuff like that I prefer your your style of thinking of, of what you're talking about with just kind of keep everything simple, do what has traditionally been done. I get all that. And I don't think Brunette's going to look at it and be like, well, it's been four shifts and they haven't scored a goal. So let's, let's switch it up. I, well, I, think I know that's an extreme. I, I yeah. Know and I think we're looking at probably a couple of games. If it's not working, like, okay, who can I put on that, on that line to maybe get a little bit more production out of it and stuff like that too. I, I totally understand that, but I think the Seattle Kraken last year kind of proved that, the way the way they handle business, it can be successful and it can work. And you, I mean, we talk about how much the, the game is changing a lot. NHL defensemen, it used to be no one wanted to draft you unless you were 6'2", 210 pounds and you played like Shea Weber. Now we're looking at more guys like Molendyke and That's Ryan right. Ellis and, and Kale McCarr, some undersized players that are shifty, speedy, like the game's changing. So. While I understand what you're saying, I, I think that that's kind of the trend we're moving towards in the NHL of having more rosters that are more fluid where you can play guys pretty much anywhere down the lineup. I think that's kind of where we're where we're heading over the next couple of years. All right, so to close this out, Gallagher, we've only got a few minutes left. Yaroslav Askarov is your number two national prospect, which I completely agree with. So uh, I guess my question is, how long is this guy? I mean, do you see him? going the distance in the AHL this season where, you know, okay, well, uh, you know, the Predators have their backup goaltender locked up for another year, you know, the, for next season. So does that basically mean short of an injury, of course, that Askarov is going to get the chance to go full boat all the way through the season, be the guy, not split time and see if he can sink or swim. Oh, absolutely. I think the fact that Devin Cooley kind of proved he was ready to at least be an NHL backup and he wanted out, and the fact that they went out and they replaced him with Troy Grosnick, who was here a couple of years ago in Milwaukee, I think that shows they're 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 riding with Askarov for the full season. I mean, Grosnick will probably get, you know, back to backs and some a few starts here and there. But I think that's their way of saying, like, okay, kid, we're gonna give you eighty five to ninety percent of the starts next year. Let's go see what you're made of. And look, he yes, he had a bumpy end of the season. You would have liked him to play better in the Western Conference Final. But that doesn't take away from how good his his regular season was. 
you got to keep in mind the kid's only 21. He led the the AHL in shots faced in the shootout, and he ranked third in wins, saves, shots faced, and he was 13th in save percentage and 15th in goals against average. That was his first year playing in North America. And you got to remember the season before that, he played a handful of games in Russia because the KHL, the whole situation with him coming over from the KHL wasn't good. So he was basically benched as kind of punishment for for getting ready to leave for the NHL. So he basically, he had what, 10, 12 starts the year before last year. And that was like his first real full season of, of kind of starting experience. I, I look at it as. That's right. I look at it as Askarov has shown. Clearly we, we see how good he can be. We've seen the glimpses and the flashes of greatness. Everyone's high on the kid. We've seen the talent, I think. And the fact that Kevin Lincoln had only got a one-year deal proves to me that the plan is to have Lincoln in backing up Saros in, in the NHL. You let Askarov has his year of development, and then in 2024, you call him up and he backs up Saros, see how that year goes, and then you decide when Saros's contract ends, do you extend him? Do you trade him? I think in two years, we'll have our answer, whether it's Saros or Askarov in net. And honestly, the fact that Barry Trotz was even considering, I know nothing happened, but the fact that he even dangled Askarov to try to move up into the top five uh, at the NHL draft, to me, that kind of shows that Askarov was more of a David Poyle guy than a Barry Trotz guy. So I wouldn't be surprised if Saros gets the contract extension and Askarov becomes trade bait in two years. However, as long as he's in the organization, kid's good. He's got talent. He's got upside. I think they let they let him play most of the year in Milwaukee. And I think they kind of see what he's got. And maybe, maybe he goes out there and he has a UC Saros type season in the AHL and his trade value is through the roof that they, they, they almost can't afford to not trade him because of what they could get back for him. When you've played more, when you haven't played more than 20 games in any one professional season, and then you go play 48 plus the playoffs, it, you can peter out at the end of the season all you want. You're getting, you're conditioning yourself to playing that much. Askarov played extremely well. I'm excited to see what he's going to do going forward. And the one thing you left out, Gallagher, that's, in, that's a feather in his cap, is he is personality personified. That guy is so fun to watch yes. and so fun to talk to. And, and just, oh, he's incredible i i hope to god the predators don't get rid of him for any reason just simply for the stories because it's he is fantastic we want to thank jaspers for sponsoring the show you the gold standard he is michael gallagher i'm jeremy kegover 